Hey, good morning. Good morning, DCF family. We're glad you're here. Are you glad you're here this morning? All right, come on. We've got a great morning. We've got some things that we're going to be doing with our kids. So we're glad that grandparents are here with us and family members are here to kind of watch them as well. Um, we are going to jump right into our worship time this morning. So if you will stand with us, um, we will get started. We love that this morning um, the Holy Spirit loves to come and dwell and to move among us. He loves to make Jesus real to us. And I love that Jesus loves to make the fatherhood of God real to us and how deeply loved we are as sons and daughters. And so this morning, um, will you just open up your heart and say, Lord, you came as a babe, but you reign as a king on a throne today. So I know it's the time of season that we celebrate this amazing wonder and I almost feel like that as we get in rhythm of Christmas that we become more aware and we're reminded of the awe and the wonder of really what took place during this season. And so for us this morning, it's remembering that Jesus, even though he came as a babe, he is reigning on a throne in heaven. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Mighty God. He is the Wonderful Counselor. So this morning, Jesus is going to be here to meet you right where you are. He loves you deeply. And so let's just start off, and we're going to pray this morning, and we're going to worship together. Heavenly Father, we come in Jesus' name. Lord, we are so thankful that um, before Jesus came, there was a plan. God, there was a plan from everlasting, Lord, from the eternal like where there's no beginning, but Lord, where you, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit had a plan in place before we ever needed one. God, thank you that you are so for us, that you are so forward thinking in our future and the plans that you have for us. And you've said that they are good and they are full of hope and it's a future, Lord, that's not full of harm and calamity, God. Lord, we thank you that as we celebrate this season, Lord, that it's a season of wonder and amazement, God, of the miraculous and the power of the living God among us. Lord, we worship you and we honor you this morning. And God, our heart's affection is turned towards you to love you, to adore you, Lord. We worship you. We worship you, Jesus, and we welcome Holy Spirit to move among us to come and breathe life in our hearts, Lord, to speak to us as sons and daughters and how deeply treasured and cherished and delighted in you are over us, Lord. We worship you and we thank you. Let our praises, Lord, be a sweet fragrance. Let them be full of adoration to you, Lord, of who you are, Lord, who you've been for us in the past, Lord, and who you will be for us in our future. Lord, we worship you. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together, y'all.
sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope with no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began Oh, your grace so free washes Shame was the ransom he faithfully bore. 
we worship you beautiful Jesus beautiful King Jesus Father Son and Holy Spirit three in one God thank you for just the beauty of your presence with us this morning thank you for being with us and loving us God we thank you that the name of Jesus your son has been exalted above every name Lord that in his humility Lord you did not let him see corruption and you raised him from the dead Lord Lord, thank you for the power of the resurrection, Lord, because that is the full story, Lord, the power of the resurrection, Lord, that has redeemed, Lord, and reconciled men, Lord, to you. Lord, we worship you and we thank you, God, that we are never alone, Lord, that you are always with us, you are always for us, Lord. We worship you. We bless you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You can be seated. Um, if you're a guest with us this morning, we're so glad that you are joining us. Please go to DothanCF.com and just click on the connection card. Um, we'd love to get to know you and get a little, to know a little bit about your story and um, how your story fits in with ours going into the new year of 2024. Um, if you noticed at the back of the room there, we have some um, cards that we would love for you to fill out. We love to hear what the testimonies of this house is because um, the Bible says this in Revelation. It says that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. That's the first way that we overcome every sin, every obstacle, um, every shame, um, everything that was caused in the beginning in the garden from uh, disobedience. But because of the obedience of Jesus, we now get to live 
from a place of the testimony of his goodness in our lives. They overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Testimonies build faith among one another to share in God's nature, in his character, and in his kindness towards us. So this morning, um, at the back of the um, uh, service, you'll see we've got Testimonies 2023. So what has this year, it's like, what was the struggle I was struggling with? And it's, you can fill it out and it says, and then the Lord, how did the Lord answer that? If you had a prayer, how did the Lord answer that for you? And then what I now know about God's nature, what I now know about who God is for me because of what he came through for in my life, write that down and like um, clip it up there on the board. And then also, what are you trusting the Lord for in 2024? So we know that there are prayers in this house for the restoration of marriages, for the restoration of family, restoration of relationships. Um, they're trusting the Lord for provision, for breakthrough, for um, healing. We want to see what are those because we're going to be trusting the Lord alongside you for breakthrough in all of those areas. So if you will, just take a few minutes, you know, before you leave service today and kind of fill those out and clip them up on the board, you guys. I um, want to mention that our grace teams are going to be coming up in January. Grace teams are what we call in our house, where most churches call it volunteers, are helping to serve. Grace teams, we believe, is that God has put a grace on your life. He has wired you to serve and to cause the local church, this body, um, to grow and build itself up in love. He wired you for that purpose. And so um, our grace teams are going to be launching. And also, if you're new with us, we're going to be doing our membership classes in January as well. You can check out details on our website, and you'll be hearing more about them um, in the uh, weeks to come. Uh, lots of ways to give online, dothancf.com. Uh, it's the year-end giving. We would love the generosity of this house um, as you're praying and you're seeking the Lord, how to give, what to give. And so that's available at dothancf.com. If you're doing check-in person, it's a box up here at the front. And we are going to dismiss our kids over to the back with Miss Gay Lynn. We are having a party this morning, y'all. So, um, And then our youth are going to be going with the Widoms over here to this side of the building. And then David's going to be back with our message that he's continuing in the series of um, A Savior is Born. So um, he'll be right back with that. All right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm going to be continuing a series called Behold, a Savior is Born. Before I get into that, um, am I, I know I'm, I don't have kids, but I think I'm maybe the only person in the room that was hoping that did not go smoothly. <laughs> I don't know why it is, but when I watch stuff like this, I see the nervous, not you guys were great, but I see sometimes the nervousness of the parents is like, oh, don't screw it up. Don't be, don't be my kid. Don't be my kid. <laughs> and I'm praying, be the kid, be the one. <laughs> and I video it. So if it, you know, if something crazy happens, it's definitely going viral. I want to put that out there. But kids are what kids are who kids are. And I, one of the things I just love so much about our church is one of the passions that we have in our church is there's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. It's just a phrase that we use that reminds us we're not indoctrinating our children. I want you to understand that's not what we do. What we're doing is we're creating an opportunity for our kids to experience Jesus for themselves. That's what we're aiming for. And so we tell them the stories. We tell them the Bible stories. We exhibit that. We model that in front of them. 
But ultimately, as families, that's what we do. The Bible says they would sit down to eat dinner. They would get up to go out when they were walking, when they were laying down. They were always teaching them, as Karen talked about earlier, the testimonies of what the Lord had done in our midst as adults so that they can begin to trust the Lord for who he is in their lives as well. So we're excited about our kids' church and our youth ministry that's growing. So be praying for that in the new year. We've got a lot of great plans for that coming up. So I want to start today about... Um, uh, behold, a Savior is born. We've been talking about the Christmas story and various aspects of it. And today is about prophetic peace. So there's lots of stories or lots of passages in the Bible that speak to the Christmas story long before we ever get to the Christmas story. And we shared some of that in the early days about the prophecies, about the, the promises that the Lord has, that something's coming, something's changing. There's brokenness everywhere we look. The world is a mess, but there was a prophecy to Israel. There's someone who's coming who's going to redeem all things. There's a Messiah, a Savior, the Anointed One. He's going to be a king. And so there are all these prophecies that talked about who this Messiah was going to be. But there were some subtle prophecies that talked about babies and being born and, and, and born of a virgin and all these kind of things that if, if the Israelites were honest, and you see this in their writings at the time, um, the rabbis even, they did not understand how the Messiah was going to show up. Like they just assumed that all of a sudden he's going to be an adult and he's going to show up. And some degree that did happen, uh, just wasn't in a way they expected. But there's a, there's a passage in Isaiah. There's a lot of uh, prophecies in Isaiah about the, <clears throat> about the Savior coming. But there's one that's really interesting. This is Isaiah 40:18, and it seems like it has nothing to do with the Christmas story, but in so many ways it does. So this is Isaiah 48, 18 in the NIV. It says, if only you had paid attention to my command. So God's saying, if you would have followed the law, if you'd have done what I ask you to do, if you would have aligned yourself with obedience rather than disobedience, he said, this is what would have happened. He said, your peace would have been like a river. And you see that, you, there's songs about this, you see this, there's a bunch of different places in scripture this comes out. And he goes on, he says, your well-being like the waves of the sea. And so peace is like a river, is what the Bible talks about. Peace is not like a lake or not like a pond. And so there's a couple different things about peace being a river. One is a river has a source and it has a place that it lets out, right? And there's things that happen in the middle. But one of the things that's interesting about peace is some people look at church people and they're like, you guys are boring, you're vanilla, you're not too excited about things, you know, you're conservative. I mean, you get all these phrases and I'm like, you guys are not hanging around the right church people as far as I'm concerned, because I don't have church friends like that. I mean, some of them maybe, but let's be honest. Some of the people at DCF are not like other people in other places, including myself. So the, the challenge with a river, though, is so often is you just don't know what you're get you're going to get as you kind of go down down the, the river. One of the things Karen and I love to do is we love to kayak, and uh, the main reason is because we like to explore. We don't like to explore big, heavy rivers. Like we went down the uh, the Chattahoochee in Atlanta one time, and it was just basically like going down the interstate. It had real nice homes on either side. You know, there were some businesses here and there. But every once in a while, we would come to these rapids. We called them rapids. I think they were like, you know, they were there were a few rocks with some swirls that went over them, but it was exciting. There was the one moment in the time when we went over that that it was exciting. And that's really what God's talking about, like peace. Um, I don't know what you, your experience with rivers are, but rivers that have rapids in them are, seem like anything but peaceful, but in the kingdom, they actually are. So the picture God's painting about peace in, in the Bible is not the absence of conflict. 
right? That was the Greek's version of, of peace. Uh, sorry, yeah, the Greek's version of peace. And Paul and some of the others, these, these, uh, uh, the Hebrews were writing into a context that was different than the world context around them because the Hebrews' version of peace was tranquility in the midst of the storm. It was, it was serenity in the midst of crazy things having, happening around them. So the way we put it is, you know, strap on your, your, uh, your flotation device, put a helmet on, and come down the river with us because at any given time, life might kick you out of there, and that's okay. We'll pick you up when it slows down a little bit. <laughs> Just make sure you got your help, helmet and your flotation device on. So it's anything but boring. And when God said, I want to give you peace, he wanted to give you an adventurous life that is serene and tranquil in the midst of the adventure. And so that's a picture that he paints it. So it picks, picks the story up, back, uh, picks up the Christmas story in Isaiah 9. And so I want to read this, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. It says, for a child would be born to us. So again, there's these promises of the Messiah and the anointed one. And passages like this made no sense to them. Like they knew that at some point the Messiah was going to be born. But all the stuff that happened before he became king was really kind of inconsequential to the, to the Israelites. It says, for a child would be born to us, a son will be given to us, and it's, this is what's really interesting. He says, the government will be upon his shoulders. It'll rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. So all of those are interesting, right? Verse 7 says, there will be no end to the increase of his government of peace. There's that word government again. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. And then it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. In other words, this is not determined by the circumstances what's, what's going to be happening in the world. I'm going to get this done. I can promise you that. You can trust it because it's the zeal of the Lord that's going to do it, not human hands or human culture or any other thing. So here's this promised king, this Messiah, Savior, and he gives him four descriptive names in that particular passage. So the first two was Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, and they deal with the character of the king. In other words, there's a king coming, and he's going to be a counselor. He's not just going to be an authoritarian. He's actually going to counsel with us. He's going to say things like, come let us reason together, says the Lord. In other words, I'm not just, you just must do this. There's going to be a reasoning together. I want to have a relationship with you is kind of what it's going after. And then it says Mighty God, talking about his power. So this is the character of the king. This is who he's going to be. He's not going to be, he's not going to be weak, I promise you that. But the second two are interesting. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace actually refer to the character of his reign. That's why it keeps using the phrase government and kingdom. The kingdom just means the king's domain. It's the place where the king is the king, right? That makes sense. But so, so it's saying there's going to be a government of this Messiah, but, but just like any other government, you can choose to submit to that government or not. And I'm not even going to go into that particular phrase. <laughs> but we all understand what that means. And sometimes if the government's terrible, you need to push back. That's part of what, we're, what we do. But if the government is, uh, is an incredibly good government, then who wouldn't want to be a part of that government? And this is the picture that he's, he's painting. So he says, um, if you come into submission to this king, his government will actually look like something very specific, right? Something different. He said he's the prince of peace. So his government is going to be a government of peace. And that's contrary to the way they were thinking about the Messiah. Because the, the Messiah is a conquering king, and he was going to bring anything but peace. That's their mindset, right? 
So, he, so Isaiah's building into this. He's saying, when you, when you see this king come, when you see this happen, there's going to be signs. There's going to be indicators. That's what we started out with. There's going to be promises. There's going to be pictures that I'm painting so that you can recognize this king when he comes, right? So it's, it's really interesting because this peace that he promises, he said, I'm going to give you a peace, a culture, um, a government, a reign of peace, because that's who I am. So that's what I'm going to bring. But it's going to be different than the world's version of peace, which is why, again, they couldn't understand, the Israelites could not understand how this conquering king could be a prince of peace. Their mindset was peace will only come when all of the conflict is done. And, of course, there's some truth to that, but in, in, the, in so many ways they miss the Messiah. But the, you see the picture of this in the New Testament through Jesus, and he actually says this in John 14, 27. So listen to what Jesus said. He's, he's getting ready to depart. He, he's, he's recognizing, he's preparing his disciples for what's next. He's been with them, and now he's preparing them for what's next. And this is what he says to them. He says, peace, I leave with you. So, he's talking, so again, they thought they understood peace. He's about to teach them something different. He says, peace, I'm going to leave some peace with you. And then he says it again, my peace. Peace, I'm going to leave my peace. Right? And so often we miss those subtle little things in Scripture that's trying to help us understand how God is different than the world around us. And I share this all the time. Um, you know, we can become like God, but the Bible says in numerous places, one place I love, I am altogether not like you. So when, when, how we can know we're creating idolatry in our own lives so often is when we make God out to be like me anthropomorphic is the word, right? But, but we make God to look like us. And so we paint, you know, the famous phrase from, um, from the, uh, uh, the movie where he says, six pound, eight ounce, little baby Jesus. That's my favorite Jesus. If we're honest, a lot of us have a favorite Jesus, right? And these guys had a favorite Messiah. He was a conquering king and they didn't want anything to do with peace, especially where they were, where, where they were when Jesus showed up. They, were, they had been conquered by another, uh, you know, they had been conquered by Rome, so another kingdom had come in. And the king's domain was anything but apparent. The government wasn't there. The government of the king wasn't there. So they were looking for it to all be disturbed. And, to, and in truth, Jesus said, I am going to do that. I did come to bring a sword. So there's a lot of truth in this as well. But here's the distinction. He says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. So the world gives peace, right? Or tries to give peace a certain way. And he says, not as the world gives, do I give to you. And then he says this, really interesting. He prefaces this, this next statement with the fact that he's going to give us peace. He says, now, or so, or because I'm giving you peace, not like the world's peace, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. It was similar but not the same thing. This, the word troubled means agitated. Like it's the clearest, purest definition. It's like stirring up turbulence. It's just, it's not calm, peaceful, serene waters. It's turbulence, right? And he said this, he says, don't you, this implied, right? You, in other words, I'm commanding you to do something. A New Testament command, to New Testament command is different than the Old Testament commands because in the New Testament, you have been given the ability to follow the command. Right? So anytime the New Testament gives you a command, love one another, but I don't like them. That's not what it said. I can love someone and not like them in the moment. If you have kids, you understand that implicitly, right? 
<laughs> if you've been married, you know what I'm talking about. If you've had inter- any interaction with human beings at all, you understand that you can love someone without liking them. And so if we get this mixed up, we, we, if we're not careful, we miss what God's trying to bring to our life because we're not doing God's thing God's way. If we do God's thing God's way, we get God's result. If we mess with that, that um, in any form or fashion, then we do not get what God intended for our lives. So if you're questioning, Lord, you promised me something and I'm not seeing it. I can tell you, I'm assuring you that it's not because of God. <laughs> if the promise isn't coming, whatever those promises are that the Lord has given us, they're sometimes like in the new, like this particular passage, they're dependent on something that you need to do. So you don't let your hearts be troubled. That tells me your hearts can be troubled. And more than anything, it tells me that you can let your heart be troubled. So we're going to get into this, but he says, also don't let it be fearful. So we're going to get into why and how that all works. But the distinction is, is this is why we celebrate Christmas in a beautiful way. Because the Prince of Peace was born into the earth. And the promise was peace. This, I mean, in, in the declaration of the Messiah, this moment that's happening right now is, is a, a movement into peace that you can't even begin to understand because the world doesn't understand it. One form of peace will leave us wanting, but the other will offer us deep fulfillment. So the best way I can do this is give you an illustration. Um, most of us, because we live pretty close to the, uh, to the beach, we've been, we stand on the beach and we see the waves come in. Now, we don't have real big waves down in Florida, um, especially in, you know, in the bay, but, um, uh, but we have some waves. But if you want to have fun, go out there when there's a hurricane. First of all, all the surfers come out of the woodwork. I don't know why, because apparently you can't surf on six-inch waves any other time. But when the hurricane comes in, the waves are much, much bigger. And I've seen some guys get out there on some big waves and slam into the, you know, come in a little bit too far and get slammed into the beach and get up, and they've got, you know, sand burns on their face. It's an interesting thing. But the nice thing about our beaches is it's all sand. What's really fun is stand next to um, the ocean on the rocky coast when there's a storm and the winds are flying around and watching the, the, the waves hit the rocks and burst up into foam and I mean, it's flying everywhere. There's nothing to me, there's nothing more beautiful or terrifying at the same time than seeing that. And there's a safety on, you know, standing on the shore because it's a solid place. But the best way to understand worldly peace versus God's peace is imagine that you are standing on that shore but now you've gotten into a boat. And this little boat's beautiful. It's, it's, it's been designed, meticulously designed. It's polished wood. It's gleaming paint, ornate decorations. It's just so well done. And so this boat represents these various avenues that society offers us to find peace. Things like social status, right? Or social justice status. Or likes. Or a hundred other things. Temporary pleasures, Material wealth, all these things are what are being offered. If you take this, if you get this, if you only had a better job, if you, had, you, know, if you only had a better wife or a better husband, if you only had this, if, if you only lived in that, you know, that three-horse town instead of this one-horse town, whatever it is, it's always this promise of peace, and that's what that boat represents. So it, it, it helps somewhat. It shields us some from the immediate onslaught of waves, offering a brief rest from the turmoil, a sense of security and control, but not actual security and control. Because the waves, it seems, keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so this worldly peace is fragile and fleeting. 
And when the storm grows fiercer, as it always does, the boat begins to sway and creak. Its ornate features start to fade, revealing its weakness. And we realize that its capacity to provide lasting peace is actually limited. It only provides temporary peace. God's peace, on the other hand, is more, um, is more like a lighthouse. So it's still sitting out there, and the waves are crashing against it, right? It's not quite as pretty as the boat that I made, <laughs> right? But it's settled, and it's, and it's standing on solid rock. So the rock of God's character, the rock of God's nature, the rock that says, whatever I promise you, I'm going to do. Whatever I say, I'm going to be true, I'm going to be true about that. Remember, what, what God said of Abraham was a picture of the new covenant, the picture he gave Abraham was, I'm telling you to do something. I'm joining, I want to tell you to do something. And if you do something that I tell you, if you believe me, if you take me at, at my word, something amazing is going to happen. And the Bible says, when Abraham believed God, that he was just trustworthy, that he was the lighthouse, not the boat. He was someone he could be trusted. The Bible says that God took that and gave it to him as righteousness to you. Why? Because that's the only place that righteousness can actually come from. It's the one thing that's stable. So God's peace comes from a deep abiding relationship with the Prince of Peace. So as we're navigating the seas of life, we're presented with a choice. Do you want a frail boat of worldly peace? Or would you rather have a steadfast lighthouse of God's peace? I don't know about you, but I know what I'm going to choose. So there's a bit more in John 14. He brings us out again. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So that last line again, don't let your heart be troubled. This is a choice you have to make. How can we do that? And I answered it earlier. It's because he's left his peace with us. And here's what's interesting. Another facet of this, we talk about this all, all the time. Grace in the new covenant means that the peace that God gives you he will not take it back, but you can give it away. So if you find yourself lacking peace, it's not because the devil stole it. It's not because the world's so big and nasty and horrible that it can take your peace away. Don't get me wrong, it could throw everything at you that it's got, and I promise you it will. If you live a little while, you figure that out quick, right? But it's interesting, that phrase do not be afraid. I learned that phrase in the King James Version. And the King James Version um, reminds me of the first joke I ever heard in church. It was from our worship leader. He was a guitar player. And I started playing guitar in the worship team. And he said, um, you're doing it wrong. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, the Bible says, fret not. So you're fretting the wrong way. Any, any guitar players know what I'm talking about? So that's the King James Version. That fret thing, that fear, that turbulence, all those things, it says you have to make a choice. Do not be afraid. And if you don't know why you shouldn't be afraid, that's your next step today, is to go find out from Scripture who Jesus is and why you shouldn't be afraid. Here's what's interesting about that phrase. It occurs 365 times in the Bible. One for every day of the year. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? It's just, that was for free. So how do you live in this peace? How do you capture what it is that Jesus is saying, here's how you can say no to turbulence, to fear, all the things that are going to try to grab a hold of your heart. Here's how you cannot let that happen. Here's how you can say no to that. 
So I want to read this, uh, this passage in Philippians. This is a, probably the greatest picture of this in the New Testament. And this is Philippians 4, 7, and this is what it says. It says, and the peace of God. Again, read scripture slowly and you'll catch things. What kind of peace is this? It's not the, the kind of the world that gives. Remember, Jesus said, I'm going to give you a peace that isn't like the world. So he says, and the peace of God. So this is what Jesus was talking about in John. He says, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. This is a New American Standard Version. Other versions says, the peace that passes understanding. The picture that it's painting is, you don't have to understand it to have it. I drive, I drive a truck, as all men do. I'm, I'm just saying I got there as quick as I could. I had, a, I had an SUV before, and I can tell you I wasn't the man I should have been. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I bought this truck because it's a four by four, and I can drive over things, and that reminds me of God and how he, no, it's, I just like it. But when I bought this truck, they told me about the engine. The salesman tried to tell me about this engine, and I was sitting there going, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm not stupid. I know how engines work. But if I'm honest, I don't have a clue how engines work. <laughs> it's about, you know, it's thousands and thousands of little small controlled explosions going off under the hood constantly all the time. And, and I used to have to get in and turn a key. You guys remember those days? Turn a key. Some of us still have those cars. Now I push a button, and I don't know why, but it just feels wrong every time I do it. Like I should, there should be some kind of action that I'm involved in to get that thing to go. But let's be honest, I put fuel in it, and I push the little button, and I put it in gear, and it does what it does. Someone somewhere knows exactly how that works, but it ain't me. But I drive it everywhere I go, right? So I can take advantage of peace, even if I don't completely understand how peace works. So here's how you know. You can find out what you understand about peace by asking this question. What disturbs your peace? What sets you off? What causes the turbulence? What invites the fear into you? What, what changes you from being, and again, it's not just an emotion of I'm calm. That's not what I'm talking about. People can be calm under pressure and still have the emotions bubbling up inside of them. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something that goes deeper than our emotions, something that's settled, something that's, that's sure and firm that won't go away. Isaiah 9, we read earlier, are reminded that Jesus is the giver of the peace. He is the prince of peace. He is the one who, who is instituting the government of peace. But you have to submit to his government. You have to really ultimate peace originates from him and you can't get it anywhere else. So again, in Philippians 4, 7, we read that the peace of God is found. At the very end of the verse, this is what it says. It says, this peace that surpasses all comprehension will guard your heart. So it'll keep the turbulence and the fear out. The peace of God will keep it from ever coming in there. It says it will guard your hearts and your minds. So that's a dangerous place, if we're not careful, is to entertain thoughts that are not from the Lord. We know this, right? But it says it this way. It says, it will guard your hearts and your minds. How? In Christ Jesus. So if you have peace anywhere else but in Christ Jesus, you will not have real peace. And you'll find it out because it gets disturbed, it gets rocked. So the word of God is full of the promise of peace. You see this out throughout all of scripture, the Old Testament and the New. Here's some scriptures. Now may the Lord of peace, see it again, the God of peace. This is who he is and what he does. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. That's pretty inclusive. 
And he says, he goes on, he says, the Lord be with you all. In other words, the connection to your peace is how you are connected to the Lord. Another one, this is Philippians 4, 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, um, this is Paul speaking, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. There's that phrase again. What kind of God is he? He's a God of peace. But listen to what it said. It's connected to something. He said, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. That's a lot of stuff. But it wasn't about following rules and regulations because Paul never talked about that. Let me give you an example. It doesn't mean that we, we shouldn't behave well, right? But at DCF, one of the things we go after is we, we go after um, and discipling your identity, identity, discipling to your identity, not your behavior. So let me clarify something having, having said that. We do care about your behavior. If you get crazy, we will help you be uncrazy. I promise you, right? You come in naked, we will clothe you, and then we'll talk to you about proper ways to dress, right? My point is, is behavior can matter, the extremes, of course. But we're not discipling your behavior, we're discipling your identity. By the way, discipling is just another word for, for training or leading. So that's something you do with your kids as well. You disciple your kids. The Bible says, train up your child in the way he should go. Not the way you want them to go, but the way God designed them to go. You train them up in the way they should go, and what will happen? They won't depart from that, that, that walk later on. But the whole idea is you have to train. You have to help people understand that this way is not okay, this way is okay. But how do we do that? And the answer, how God goes after it, he says, this is Corinthians, again, Paul writing, and this is why I know it wasn't all about the do's and the don'ts and the thou's and the shouts. It wasn't any of those. It wasn't the law that Paul went after. He's talking to the Corinthian church. And this Corinthian church, one aspect of them, they were meeting together for communion and they were literally getting drunk at communion. <laughs> right? You think your church is messy. And Paul still claimed them. Like he, I would have said, this is Peter's church I'm talking to. I didn't start this church. I'm trying to help them, right? But he didn't. He goes, I'm your father. Trust, you know, do the things I'm doing. To, if you'll do this. And then the other thing they were doing, one, the Bible says, one of you guys, he, Paul wrote to them, he says, one of you is sleeping with your father's wife. Now, I don't know why he used that phrase that way, whether it's his stepmom or his real mom. He just literally said, because we all feel the cringe when I say that, he said, that's something so bad, even the world doesn't do that. Like the Corinthians are heathens, but not that heathen. And this is the church he planted. But in all that, he never one time took them back to the law. This is fascinating. What did he do? He told them and reminded them of their identity. He said this, do you not know that you are the temple? <gasps> well, guy, the guy was sleeping with his stepmom or whatever. He wasn't a Christian. <laughs> Pretty sure he brought that out for that very reason. The guy's getting drunk at communion. None of you guys would do that. You'll get drunk at Talladega, but you're not getting drunk at communion. Come on, you know better than that, right? Even us Southerners know better than that. So he couldn't, they couldn't have possibly been Christians. The guys who were using the gifts of the Spirit in selfishness, beating each other with them, lording it over. I mean, using it to, to manipulate the body. Those guys couldn't possibly have been Christians, could they? Of course they were. <laughs> Which is highly, highly challenging to us as believers. So here's the thing. The Bible says at some point, those who name the name of Christ should walk away from their sin. They should put that stuff aside. That's true. But let me ask you this. When is your son not your son when he's pooping in his diaper? At some point, 
If he's 16 and he's pooping his pants, you might need to have him checked out. I'm just saying. There may be more going on than what was going on when they're two, right? We understand this. So what Paul's saying, Paul's saying if you go after the identity, and Jesus said it the same way. He went after the religious people of his day. Why? He said, you on the inside of you is full of death and dead men's bones, but the outside of you is beautiful like a cemetery. Flowers and ornate stone and beautiful writing and, and grass. It's beautiful. It's like a garden, but underneath where it counts, you're full of sickness, you're sin, you're broken. And Jesus said, if you clean the inside of the cup, what happens? The outside of the cup becomes clean. So this is what Paul went after. This is why he's going after this in these scriptures. He's not going after the behavior. Let me read this again. He said, these things I've spoken to you, I'm sorry, uh, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and what will happen? The God of peace will be with you. This is Philippians again. So he's saying, if you do these things, what are these things? It wasn't perfect obedience to the law. It started with, do you know who you are in Christ? And if you don't, you will keep living that out. You will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm never going to amount to anything. Guess what? You're never going to amount to anything. If all, of your, if all of your understanding of who you are comes from what you do, the moment you can't do it, all of your identity goes away. If your identity comes, or if who you are comes from how much money you have, you have more than this person, if the kind of car you drive, the kind of house you, you have, the neighborhood you live in, the school that you went to, or any of those things, that's that boat that'll it'll hold up a little bit in a little bit of a storm. It's better than not having it. But at some point, those waves will come crashing down. And then Jesus tells another story. He says, when the storms come, not if they do. When they come, and they're going to come with a vengeance, whose house is left standing? The one on the sand or the one on the rock? Right? So what is the rock? You, better do, you have to do better. You better shine up. You better be perfectly obedient. You better do the right thing. That is not the rock. Who's the rock? The Prince of Peace. If you have a relationship with the Prince of Peace, that starts with admitting something that you are submitting to someone or something that's greater than you that has the power to bring peace in a world that doesn't have peace. That's what that looks like. Here's another one. These things, this is Jesus. These things I've spoken to you. Why? So that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. In the world, there will be turbulent waters. In the world, the storms are going to come crashing down. He said so. He says, but in me, you can have this peace because the only real peace comes because you're in me. And he goes on. He says, in the world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have, past tense, overcome the world. Isn't that interesting? But it doesn't feel like it. That's because you live in time and he doesn't. And that will bake your noodle, I promise you. You just think about it for a little while. How does God, I don't understand it all. Like I said, I can drive a truck and be happy with it and drive it over things because that's what it's designed for. I can make me feel more manly whether it's true or not, right? I don't understand how all that works, but I will take advantage of it and you should too. Here's another one. Last one, it says, you will keep him. This is an Old Testament prophetic uh, promise to you. It says, um, you will keep him in perfect peace. Not just peace, 
But this peace that he's, he's talking about in this new covenant that's going to pass and surpass all understanding, and, and you can't figure out how it works. But he says this, you will, he, you will keep him in perfect peace. God will keep you in perfect peace. Who is this person? Whose mind is stayed, settled, calmed, focused on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. So what is that saying? At some point, this is, again, what disturbs you. If you can be knocked out of your peace, I'm not having, I'm not listening to me. I'm not talking about having an emotional reaction to something. That ha- our emotions are there and they're helpful, right? I have emotional reactions to something and I can, I, I can allow that to throw me out of peace, right? But I don't have to. I can have an emotional act- reaction and it's not sin. The Bible's clear about this. It says, be angry, but don't sin. So you can be very angry about something and not sin. You can do that. But again, the promise, the promise of you being able to fulfill the thing that you need to do comes because God has given you the ability. And if you are trying to grab hold of any other thing to regulate your life, you will not be able to do it. And it's actually a picture that God will allow you to see what's going on inside your own life and inside your own heart. Why? So you can turn back to the Savior and say, Lord, I'm, I'm doing this wrong. I'm, apparently with this situation threw me out. It it made my waters go all kinds of turbulent. And it's, why did that happen? The ultimate reason is because I didn't trust you. I didn't believe that you were really good. And see, that goes all the way back to the first lie the enemy tells humanity. Did God really say? And if you can't answer that question, you're never going to have peace. So all of these scriptures have something in common. You can't have this kind of peace without having a relationship with the God of peace. Somebody wrote somewhere, the world bases its peace on resources, while God's peace depends upon relationships, first with him and then with others. So the promise of peace from God is not based on circumstances, neither good nor bad. Let me just, this is subtle, but it's helpful. So often when things are going well in our life, we think we have peace but you don't. What you have now is called the absence of conflict. <laughs> and that's because the enemy's blowing up some other part of the front line right now. But don't worry, he'll be back. <laughs> right? But we are warriors designed to fight. There's something amazing. If you ever get around some special forces guys, I'm not talking about the guys who think they're special forces. I mean the real deal. Most of the time you're never going to know it, except for there's a, there's a calmness and a sereneness about them that's disturbing. It's really interesting. We had some uh, PJs um, uh, in the Air Force. And PJs, they call them PJs because they're parajumpers. And parajumpers are special, Air Force Special Forces guys. Now, you guys know about the Navy SEALs, Rangers, different ones. But the PJs are the ones that all the other special forces respect. Here's why. So the PJs have to do all the stuff. They have to go through all the training that the, that the uh, other special forces guys go through. But they also have to learn medical. They have to learn rescue. They have to go out where, where these special forces guys have gotten themselves in trouble. <laughs> and they have to jump out of air, or helicopters or, or come out of airplanes. And they go and they get these guys. And they render aid. And then they fight the enemy off until these guys can be rescued. Whether they can get them themselves or where they have to bring somebody else in. And so these PJs, they used to come. I worked at the bomb dump. And they would come borrow our, um, our uh, lift every once in a while. And usually they, they would borrow it for the next day. 
because they would bring it back the next morning at 10 a.m., and I'd be working the gate shack, and they would come up, hey, we're returning this forklift, you know, and they're like, oh, hey, Sergeant Hell, how are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm good, so-and-so, how are you doing? He's like, man, I'm, I am loving life. It's so amazing. I said, so what did you do today, right? It's 10 o'clock in the morning. He said, well, at 4 o'clock this morning, I jumped into the North Sea, swam around a little bit. <laughs> he said, I rescued a couple of people who need some, needed rescuing. We got back in the boat. He said, we came back to the shore. At some point, we had breakfast. We did a whole bunch of work, and now I'm getting ready to go take a nap. He had finished his day at 10 a.m. So these PJs, when you meet them, I don't know why, and maybe it's just our PJs, I don't know, but they were different. They were serene, but they, they weren't just about killing, <laughs> right? They just weren't just about doing damage. And I think it had something to do with these guys had moved past that. They knew how to do that. They could do that. But they got to the place where they were on the other side, and they, in essence, were the peacemakers of the special forces group. And they were happy. That was unusual. Or happier, maybe is a better way to put it. But I was blown away because so often, like I said before, the Greeks' mindset, which is our Western culture, Western understanding, their mi- the mindset of peace is an absence of conflict. And all of absence of conflict represents in the world is peace. But in the kingdom, that doesn't represent peace at all. Because we're still unsettled. We're still unsure. We're still afraid of death. Why? Because we don't know what happens next. It's fearful. So God, God's peace stays. When things are not looking up, when the future seems grim or even hopeless, and when things are good. You can have peace when things are good. You can think straight when things are good. And one of the things I think it does is when things are good, there's not something inside your psyche that's waiting for the other shoe to, to fall. Right? You're not waiting. You're just like, oh, any minute now, life's going to blow up on me. And so you get, this, you get this thing that happens. You see it in the culture. You see it online. This, this, it's just really sad. You see it in the goths who dress all black and dark and their fingernails. And they just, they're dark. Why? Because in their head somewhere, it's like it's, it, no matter what you say, it's all bad and it's all going to be bad and it's all going to end in death. But you and I know that death isn't the end, right? And that someone actually conquered death on our, on our behalf. And that's what Jesus said. He said, in this world, you are going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to have agitation. It's coming for you. But be of good cheer. In other words, that whole don't worry, be happy thing, this is where it really finds its source. You can't really be happy unless you take this and say, Jesus says, be of good cheer. Why? Because I have already overcome the world. Whatever the world throws at you won't be bigger than my love and my kindness and my care for you. And so let me end it with this. Peace is ultimately about trust. It really is. Peace is submission to a trustworthy authority. It's about being submitted to something or someone who has the power to bring peace. And if you live a little bit of life, you find out money won't bring you peace because you can never have enough of it. And the lack of it will take peace away unless you have real peace. And then it, honestly, it doesn't matter. So in the best times, Karen and I talk about, you know, our, our early days. I remember living in Bible college and we would splurge on a gallon of milk. That was splurging, was buying milk because milk's real expensive. In the meantime, 
we had ramen noodles. And some of you guys can relate to this. Ramen noodles, um, you know, the, the Japanese came up with that. I went to a museum in Tokyo where that showed how they came up with it. And I thought, this is from Jesus because this has moved the kingdom forward probably more than most everything else. It got everybody through college, right? But I remember those times and thinking how tough it was. Um, somebody gave us a truck one time and we literally took, it, was a, it didn't have a bed on it. And we took a, a fence that had fallen down in the neighbor's yard and asked them if we could have the lumber and built a, a flatbed you know, bed on the back of this truck. And I used it to go out and mow lawns. And, and this thing, again, it was just such a gift for God. And it was so bad. It was so pitiful. It was so terrible. <laughs> and we drove that thing across the United States. We drove it for 10 years. And we loved it the whole time. And I promise you, look, it hasn't changed. We're doing well. I'm not, you know, we buy milk most, most weeks now. I mean, we, and don't, we don't actually buy ramen noodles anymore, right? But, but even though we're doing well, we're not waiting for that other shoe to drop. We're not waiting for the calamity. We're not looking at what's happening in Israel and, and the Middle East and we're, what's happening in Eastern Europe going, oh, what happens if World War III comes? Because here's why. Ultimately, I go, you guys have all this power, and it's real, it's real power, don't get me wrong. But what you don't have the power to do is to take away my peace. And if you don't have that, the only way that you can get that is through Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the one who makes us, reconciles us, and makes peace with God. He made peace with God on our behalf. So I'm going to finish with this message, or this uh, uh, sir, uh, I was about to preach another sermon. That's sad. About this uh, passage, this is in John 1.10. It says, and this is the saddest and at the same time the most exciting scripture in the entire New Testament for me. He says, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. Can you imagine what Jesus must have felt like when he felt that? Because I'm sure he did all the time. Let me read that again. He was in the world and the world was made through him. He was God in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. This is even sadder. He came to his own, his own special people that he had set aside to receive him as the Messiah, and they missed him. He says he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. They rejected him as the Messiah. Verse 12, though, is where it changes, and this is where peace comes from. But as many as received him. Anyone who would receive him for who he said he was and what he came to do, it says this, to them he gave the right or the power to become children of God. And it goes on, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So here's how you do that. Eternal life. Jesus said, if you believe on me, and, and it literally means to believe the the. The Bible version of believe is not mental assent. It's I believe it intellectually, but then I do something about it. That's how you know I believe. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. The fruit of belief is you, you trust in the one that you believe in, right? But what's beautiful about that is when we do that, when you trust in Jesus for eternal life, what you've really said is, I'm putting all the temporary stuff away. Anything that tries to take away my peace, right? All that goes away because now there's something settled in eternity. There's something beyond time. There's something beyond circumstances. There's something way bigger than us. The, the uh, theologians called it transcendence. That's why I love the word supernatural. It's not against nature. It's just above it. 
Nature is down here in this little tiny box, and God's everywhere and in the box. He's outside the box. He's inside the box. There is no box with God, right? So that's where we have to be. And when we settle that in our lives and say, Jesus, I believe in you and I trust in you, something happens on the inside, the Bible says, that we get a new nature. And when we get that, something happened now. As many as received him believed in what he said and what he did on the cross and trust in him for salvation, wholeness. That's what that word means. Whole body, whole soul, whole spirit, whole everything. Rescue from the brokenness and the hurt. Rescue from the pain. Rescue from the sin and the disobedience. And the more we get that, what begins to happen is as we do and say, like Paul said, if you do the things I said, do the things I showed you, watch my life, follow me as I follow Christ. If you do that, then the God of peace will be with you and all of his peace now becomes your peace. So what disturbs you this morning? As you, go, as you go away into this Christmas season, again, this season can amplify all the hurt and the brokenness and the lack of peace. Or it can amplify the peace. Which one will you let it do? Would you stand with me? So Jesus, we come and we say, first of all, thank you for what you did on the cross, Lord, that you took all of our sin, Lord, past, present, and future. You did that. And Lord, you took it upon yourself. You bore it, is what scripture says, Lord. And Lord, because you were perfectly righteous, Lord, you died a sinner's death. That means that you can give us the gift of righteousness. We don't have to try to pursue it ourselves. We get it as a gift. And Lord, that changes something on the inside of us. We have become righteous, Lord. Now we're never trying to do the right thing to get you to love us, Lord. We're doing the right thing because you have already loved us. And Lord, you have prepared us for that. You have given us that in our heart. And we can walk into the fullness as we grow, as we mature in you. But Lord, all of it depends on trusting in you. Lord, it's not just getting saved in the moment 25 or 30 years ago when I gave my life to Christ. Lord, it's I'm constantly giving my life to you because you are the source. Like a river, Lord, you are where the peace comes from. And one day, Lord, that peace will settle where that river flows and it flows eventually right into heaven. And every good and perfect thing, Lord, that has been given us, Lord, will never have another tear or never have another sorrow associated with it. But until then, Lord, we are on a mission to bring peace to others because you brought peace to us. Jesus, help us do that well and help us walk in this perfect peace and trust in you in this Christmas season. It's in your name I pray, amen. This morning we put up on the screen um, words of knowledge. The Bible talks about these and what we do is we put those up there as we pray for you um, that if, you, if that resonates with you, we would love to pray for you. But we're hearing testimonies over and over again as we prayed on Sunday mornings and we put those things up there. People will come to us and go, man, that was, that's, that's just, that's where I am. That's what I'm going through. God knows that, which is why we put these up here. But we'd love to pray for you more about any of these things that resonate with you, but also just about life in general. If you have something and you just need a friend, need somebody to pray over you and pray his love and his kindness and mercy, we'd love to do that with you as well. So if our team can come up, um, if you guys will come on up. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a wonderful, wonderful week. Gear up for Christmas. It's coming at us. Amen. See you next Sunday.